Joel chapter 2, verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all of the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. And verse 12. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart and with fasting and weeping and mourning. And rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. Verse 17. Let the priest and the Lord's ministers weep between the porch and the altar. And let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the nations, where is their God? Verse 21, do not fear, O Lord, or land, rejoice and be glad, for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness have turned green. The trees have borne its fruit, and the fig tree and the vine yield in full. So rejoice, O sons of Zion. And be glad in the Lord your God, for he has given you the early rain for your vindication, and has poured down on you the rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors will be full of grain, and the vats will overflow with new wine and oil. And then I will make up for you the year that the locust has eaten, the creeping locust, the stripping locust, the gnawing locust, my great army which I sent among you. Verse 28, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams, young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Father, we thank you for your word, which is living and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword. I ask tonight that you would anoint me to preach your word with power and with clarity. And I ask that you would anoint this congregation that in hearing the word, they might receive it with gladness in their hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. And the church said amen. Amen. You may be seated this evening. Are you walking on the path of Pentecost? ¿Estaba usted caminando sobre la senda del Pentecostés? There are several clear markers in this chapter of Scripture which we have read which are part and parcel of the Pentecostal life. Hay varios uh, uh, señas aquí en este capítulo 2 de Joel que son parte íntegra de lo que es ser, uh, lo que es la vida Pentecostés. And many people have a, a problem with the word Pentecost because it's been related in a lot of ways to the religious model of some churches. Algunos tienen el problema con la palabra Pentecostés porque se ha convertido en una palabra que simboliza o define algunas partes de iglesias religiosas. But 
there is in the scripture a, a completely different understanding of the word. Hay en la escritura un más grande y muy uh, uh, bello significado de esta palabra. When I use the word Pentecost tonight, I'm not talking about a religious system governed by man's ideas, preferences, and notions, but I'm talking about the work of the Spirit of God in the church. I'm talking about those churches that have opened wide the doors of their heart to every expression of the Spirit of God that He would give them. I'm talking about those believers who have received what the early church received on the day of Pentecost. And the Spirit of God was poured out upon them with power. The Bible says that Peter stood up to preach on that day and he said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my Spirit. And so that's what I'm talking about tonight. I'm talking about the path of revival, the path of life, the spiritual life that is full, that is overflowing with the Spirit of God and the anointing of God. Now the first thing I read to you tonight is the words of the first verse of chapter 2 of Joel, and if you read it there, he says, blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. The first thing we must understand about Pentecost is that Pentecost is an alarm to the world. Lo primero que tenemos que entender es que el poder de Dios, uh, el cual uh, habla la Biblia sobre esta palabra pentecostés, se refiere a la unción y poder del Espíritu Santo, es una alarma hacia el mundo. I don't know how many of you uh, use an alarm to wake up in the morning. But there is uh, now in our phones the capacity to set up several alarms for several things. And sometimes they help, sometimes they hurt. This morning while I was preaching, we had alarms going off in the house of God as there was an Amber Alert. Uh, and, and you all, uh, if you were here, you recognized the kind of the disturbance and the uh, alertness that comes from that. That is the purpose of an alarm. An alarm... Uh, is, is, is intended to get your attention. It's intended to wake you up. It's intended to shake you up. It's intended to break the cycle of monotony and boredom. It's intended to say, hey, there is something that needs to happen right now. And the Pentecostal experience, the, the move and the operation of the Spirit of God is an alarm to the world because God said in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And so what he is letting us know is that when we see the outpouring of his spirit, it's an alarm that says things are happening. Things are changing. There is a shifting in the winds. When revival uh, came in such might and power to this congregation a few years ago, it changed us. It transformed us. It renewed us. It gave us a newness of life. And, and that was an alarm to the city of Beville saying that God is up to something here. That God is on the move. And so I want to just let you know, friend, that every time you see an outpouring of God's Spirit, every time you see the manifestation of God's presence, 
it is an alarm signaling to the world that God is on the move and that we must get in pace with God. That we must get in pace with what the Spirit of God is saying. I don't know about you, but it is the longing of my soul to keep pace with the Spirit of God. I want to walk in lockstep with the Spirit of God. I want to go where He goes and hear what He hears and say what He says. I want to do what He does. I want to walk in lockstep with God's Spirit. And to those who are unbelieving, to those who are outside of the faith, to those who have said no to Christ, and I tell you, friends, every time you you come into a church service like this or you hear about God moving upon a city or a place. It ought to be a bell ringing in your spirit saying, get right with God. Your time is running out. Because the scripture says, blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on the holy mountain. Because the day of the Lord is near. Every time I stand in this pulpit and all of the pastors in Beville, as we stand in the pulpit on Sunday morning, we are sounding an alarm to the world saying you need to get right with God. You need to stand for God. Stand for Jesus. And woe unto him who hits snooze on the alarm. Who misses the message. Who doesn't comprehend the moment of God's manifestation and God's power. We cannot afford to be dull hearing to the sounding of God's alarm. To the sounding of God's trumpet in our heart that says, I want to do extraordinary things in this city. And so every time we have a spirit-filled service, we ought to go home with excitement knowing God is up to something. And every time you hear someone being saved, you ought to say God is up to something. And every time you hear someone being baptized in the Holy Spirit, you ought to say God is up to something. And I want to be a part of it. I want to know what God is involved with. I want to know what God is doing. And we read in verse 12, the second part of the path of Pentecost. And it is that it is not only a path of alarm, but it is also a path of consecration. También leemos que a pesar o encima de ser una alarma, también el mover del Espíritu en nuestro día es un llamado a la consagración. It is a call to consecration. Now, consecration is an old-fashioned word, an old-school word. It's a King James word. And so we don't really know too much about it, and, and we uh, maybe don't think very much about what it means to be a consecrated Christian, but literally what it means is that uh, when you consecrate something, for instance, uh, this pulpit tonight that I am resting my Bible on has been consecrated to God, and it has been consecrated to the preaching of the Word, and so it has but one single purpose. It has but one single use. It has been set apart for God's holy use. It cannot be used for any other thing. It cannot be used for any other purpose. Uh, you will see the, the musical instruments in this room and the sound equipment that we have in here. It's been consecrated 
to a purpose, a holy and righteous purpose. And so you won't see these guitars and these drums and this sound system in a nightclub next Friday night. Uh, you won't see it in a bar or a pub. You won't see it in someone's backyard beer drinking barbecue. Its only use is to honor and glorify God. Why am I telling you this? Because as much as we have consecrated these things, God is not so much interested in the consecration of things as he is in the consecration of people. He wants you and I to live like these instruments, these implements of battle that have but one purpose, and that is to glorify the almighty and powerful God and to preach his word. Look at the words of chapter 2, verse 12. Yet now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments, and return to the Lord your God. What is he saying there? He's saying that to walk in the path of Pentecost is a path of consecration where we are in constant cleansing of the Spirit of God. When he says, rend your hearts and not your garments, he's referring to the old Hebrew tradition. When there was a, a crisis or a tragedy, a death of a loved one, the, the Hebrews would tear their clothes. And if you saw someone with a torn garment, it signified that they were in mourning or that they were going through a difficult time. God says, don't tear your clothes. Tear your heart. Don't rip your clothes. Rip your heart. Let your heart be open to me. Let your heart be broken before me. Come before me with a fullness of your heart that says, God, I want to live for you and I want to die for you. I want to be all yours and all in. It is a path of consecration. He says, consecrate a fast in verse 15. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber. God calls all of us to come to a place of consecration. You know that when the nation of Israel would go into a fast, nobody would eat. Not even the animals in the stall would eat. Everybody, everything in that nation was committed to hearing the voice of God. Oh, church, this must be our life. This must be our heart to say, God, I am fully yours. And I want to hear what you would have to say to me. I want to live a life of constant and total devotion to God. And then verse 17 gives us the third step of this path. He said, let the priest and the Lord's ministers weep between the porch and the altar. This now is letting us know that this is a path of intercession. You see, in the Old Testament, the tabernacle or the temple was managed by priests. These were men of the tribe of Levi, whose job it was to stand in intercession for the nation of Israel. And they would come and stand between the porch and the altar. They would stand between the people and the altar of God. They would make intercession and, and pray for the, 
for the nation of Israel. They would ask God's forgiveness and grace upon them. You see, friends, that this is a path of intercession. The, the Pentecostal path is a path of standing in the gap for the lost. Our life as a church must be a life of intercession. A life when we are constantly saying, God, save the lost. Bring the lost to the knowledge of the Savior. That is why on Sunday morning or Sunday evening or on a Wednesday night or in Bible, in, a, uh, in your uh, uh, Sunday school class or in uh, the um, Christian education, I should say, or even in a small group, when people are coming to Christ, this is an answer to our prayers. This is an answer to these, to these submissions and petitions that we have made before God. We have said, Lord, save the lost. Save the lost at any cost. Let the priest weep between the porch and the altar. Now I can hear the gears going in your mind. And you're saying, okay, he's talking about the priest. He's talking about himself. He's not talking about me. But can I tell you that you are a priest. You have been called by God to have a priesthood in which you can enter into the holy place of the almighty God and make intercession for the lost. Make intercession for the broken. He says, find a place in your heart, a place of intercession where you weep before God between the porch and the altar. Where you weep and say, God, if you don't save, they can't be saved. If you don't call them, they can't come. If you don't move upon their hearts, they won't be moved. Friend, there is great power in an interceding church. Because Jesus is the great example of intercession. He went to the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So too you and I must be praying, God, save the lost. Bring them in. Bring them by whatever means necessary. But we want to see people saved. And we want to see people changed for the glory of God. For the glory of Christ. Some people will come to me and say, Pastor, I want you to pray for my son. I want you to pray for my daughter. And then I find out that they're not praying for them. And I think, wait a minute. Something has fallen out of the equation. You're asking me to weep for them. But you're not weeping for them. You're asking me to intercede. But you're not interceding. Come on, if they mean something to you, stand in the gap and intercede until God does something. I said pray until God pushes through and brings victory into that situation or that life. There's great power in a church that knows how to travail. What is travail? That's another old school word. But the word travail, come, it's, it's, a, it's a word uh, that is related to prayer. But it's, it is mixed with the idea of going into labor. It's a word that involves a woman giving birth to a child. Travail is a, is a process of giving birth. And so God calls us as a church to be in travail for the lost, to be in our prayer life so intense about giving birth to the lost, giving birth to a, 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 a harvest of souls. Friends, Souls aren't one when the preacher makes the altar call. Souls are one in the prayer closet 
who are going before God in travail and saying, Lord, save the lost. Bring them in from the north and the south and the east and the west. Bring them from every language and nation and tribe and tongue. There is a, 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 a disinterest that has set in to the modern church. A disinterest in seeing people saved. Many, many people are content with being saved. They're not interested in seeing someone else be saved. But the church that travails, the church that knows how to go before God with earnest expectation for the salvation of the lost, weeps before God between the porch and the altar. It weeps until God does something. And look what the Bible says. In Isaiah chapter 66, verse 8, it says that as soon as Zion travailed, as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth children. Oh, can you hear that? Can you see that? That is a promise from God. As soon as Kingsway travails, he will bring forth children. I don't know if you heard me. I said, as soon as Kingsway travails, he will bring forth children. Last year, God promised us a harvest, and he brought it in. But I am not content with one harvest. I've got to have another and another after that. As soon as Kingsway travails, God says, I will bring forth children. I'll bring forth harvest. Bring forth a salvation of the lost. He says to us tonight, I'm looking for someone who will stand in the gap. Someone who will stand between the porch and the altar. Someone who will say, God, if no one will pray, I will pray. If no one will weep for the lost, let me weep for the lost. As the old preacher George uh, Whitfield said as he stood over that vast audience, and he said, if you will not weep for your souls, I will weep for your souls. So let it be that God will find a cry in this church that says, God, if you do nothing else, save the lost. If you do nothing else, bring the lost unto repentance. Bring the lost to a place of commitment to Christ. Verse 21, it tells us that this path is a path of rejoicing. It's a path of joy. Do not fear, O land. Rejoice and be glad, for the Lord has done great things. I said the Lord has done great things. You don't have to look very far to say amen to that, because you woke up this morning and you drew the breath of life. The Lord has done great things. Rejoice! The Pentecostal path is a path of joy. That is why a lot of people are afraid of Pentecostals because uh, in a lot of ways, Pentecostals have been mad, sad, grumpy people. Let me just tell you, if you're watching us tonight, not at Kingsway Church, we're a happy church. I said we're a happy church. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. 
We have the joy of heaven in this house. We smile because we have been saved, set free, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in power and commissioned to, to the work of God. You know, the, 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 you know, from time to time as I traveled as an evangelist, I would see people that were singing uh, about the joy of the Lord. And they, say, uh, and they would sing, Tengo gozo en mi alma. Gozo en mi alma. And I thought, where is the joy? Where is the joy? Come on, church. I, I'm, I'm here today to tell you there is joy in the Spirit. There is joy in the house of God. Why? Because I was dead, but now I'm alive. Because I was lost, but now I'm found. Because I was sick, but now I'm healed. The joy of the Lord is in my soul. How can I be sad when I've got the God that I serve? How can I be sad when Jesus has done such great things in my life? Come on, how can you be sad? How can you be troubled? How can you sit there and say, oh, no, poor me. No, poor nothing. I am a child of the living God. I have been washed in the precious blood of the Lamb. The joy of the Lord is a river flowing through my soul. Heaven came down and joy filled my soul. Put a smile on your face tonight. Smile and be happy. Rejoice and be glad because the Lord has done great things. I said the Lord has done great things.